Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, let your Holy Ghost touch this place today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's turn to 1 Kings, the 11th chapter, while they get this thing adjusted to my voice. It's softer than most, most folks, and I'll give them a few minutes. I'd like to say thank you to the committee for all of the uh, things that they have appreciation coming to them for. Thank you for the invitation. It is indeed an honor to be here to preach to this uh, fine assembly and this well-respected conference. It's kind of a heady thing for uh, a preacher like me to be invited to something like this. And I'm a little nervous if you'll just kind of help me a little bit. Uh, I think uh, my church at home probably goes back as far as where that man right there is. <laughs> so uh, I'll just pick a spot somewhere where nobody's sitting and look at that and then Amen. But I do thank you for the wonderful accommodations. I thank you for the respect and the trust that the invitation comes with. Uh, I want to also say that I believe there's probably a certain set of minimums to be invited, you know. There's probably a certain set of uh, uh, certain minimums that have to be, uh, man has to uh, hold certain truths to be self-evident, to be invited. And the reason I say that is because if I have to qualify everything that I have to say today, it'll take me twice as long. If I have to give the turnaround to everything that I say, if uh, please don't misunderstand and take something that I'm going to say out of context and uh, say, well, he said this. Uh, I think you understand that uh, there are some certain certain things that I hold uh, in my ministry. I wouldn't even be here. Is that all right? I talked to Brother Booker at a men's retreat just the other couple of weeks ago, and I said, "Is there anything, any subject that is not uh, just is it taboo to stay away from?" He said, "Well, he said, don't preach anything about serpent seed." I said, "Well, there's no worry there." <laughs> He said that other than that, it's every man to his tent, O Israel. <laughs> Amen. None of us have all the answers. Not even the ones who just got out of Bible school. You don't have all the answers. And PSR is kind of a ministerial clearinghouse. Hello? Regardless of men's affiliations or attachments, it's kind of a clearinghouse of what the ministry is thinking about, and I like that. But none of us have all the answers. But I do have a few of the answers. And you've got a few of the answers. Maybe more than I have. Seems like to me the more that we could get together, the more answers we would have. Praise the Lord. If I preach 10,000 times in my lifetime, I'll never feel adequate be able to preach the Word of God. Never. And uh, I feel like I should apologize, you know, for my delivery or something, you know, but if I preach 10,000 times, I feel like I never have to apologize for what he did. 
Never. Praise the Lord. Now, when preachers preach, I don't know, I'm going to give a little thing away here. When preachers are preaching, other preachers will turn to their colleague next to them. They say, and with a knowing look, they'll say, he's on it. <laughs> Amen. Well, whatever it is, I want to be there upon today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I didn't come here with a pretty sermon. I had some preferences. I told the Lord, said, I'm going to preach this. <laughs> and he said, you are. <laughs> Amen. I said, I've got a real nice one, Lord, about the empire strikes, strikes back. I want to preach that one. Uh, no, he said, not that one. <laughs> Amen. The theme of this conference has been interwoven in all of these services. The theme has been sacrifice. And I thought how apt that was. The theme of the con conference is show me thy glory. And what, what has more glory, what holds more glory than the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us on Calvary? Is there any act of his that brings him more glory than that? Is not that the crowning achievement, even though the crown was a crown of thorns, is that not his glorious achievement to take a people who are no people and somehow make them the people of God? In 1 Kings, the 11th chapter, let's look at that together and then you can be seated all I can promise you today is that you've never heard it on this wise I can't be anybody else amen I just can't do it I thought about yesterday brother Therese I'd go home I'd go back to the motel room and practice well you've got such a great delivery and such a great message I feel humble to be on the same program brother Therese preached like he was 20 years older. Brother Spears preached like he was 20 years younger. <laughs> Amen. But the theme of this conference has been sacrifice. Been sacrifice. Amen. And I want to deal with some of that today. In 1 Kings, the 11th chapter, I want to read verse 29. We're speaking of King Solomon's reign. King Solomon is king of the children of Israel at this time. First Kings 11 and 29 says, And it came to pass at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Silonite found him in the way. And he had clad himself with a new garment and they too were alone in the field. And Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in 12 pieces. Everybody say 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take thee 10 pieces. Everybody say 10 pieces. How many pieces left? Very good. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and I will give 10 tribes to thee. So the pieces stands for tribes. Is that right? 
but he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because that they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, and, and all the rest of these. So because they've done that, I'm going to rend the kingdom apart. Verse 34, Howbeit I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him prince all the days of his life for David my servant's sake, whom I chose, because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of the hand of his son, and I will give it unto thee even ten tribes. And unto his son, unto Solomon's son, I will give one tribe. So Ahijah the prophet, I figured he would be a safe one to use today because I didn't think anybody else would use him. <laughs> but Ahijah the prophet had a new suit. And he found Jeroboam in the field. And Ahijah took the new suit that he had and he tore it in 12 pieces. And he gave 10 pieces to Jeroboam. And he said, God is reserving one piece for Solomon's son. His name is Rehoboam. I want to preach to you today. Will you help me? I want to preach to you today the missing piece of the garment. You may be seated. The first part of chapter 11, I'm going to try to hurry over some of this history these incidentals. Uh, Solomon is the king. Solomon, the first, chap the first part of chapter 11 deals with all of the sins of Solomon and why the kingdom is going to be rent from his lineage. Uh, so he is one of the uh, major players in this story. His son is named Rehoboam and he's going to end up with one piece of the kingdom. Now, the prophet uh, Hijah, I don't have time this morning to go into all of the history of Jeroboam, but he was an industrious man who became ambitious and set himself against the king. But the Lord decided that he was going to use this young man. And so he sent the prophet to him to tear his garment into 12 pieces, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. He said, I'm going to give 10 tribes to you, Jeroboam. He said, and I'm going to save one tribe out and give it to Rehoboam for David's sake. Where's the other piece of cloth? There's one more piece. And so this is the time of the rendering of the kingdom when Solomon dies. Ten of the tribes go north, and from then on in the Bible they are called the children of Israel. And there's two tribes that go to the southern kingdom, and they're called Judah. Solomon dies and Rehoboam ascends to the throne uh, in charge of the southern kingdom. Now, what I'm going to be speaking about today uh, is, uh, is a rather touchy subject, I suppose, uh, but all I ask is that you reserve judgment until the end. Don't close your mind on anything that we say as we go along. Hello? Is that fair enough? Amen. Wait till it balances out. I've got to do some perimeters, parameters. I've got to do something on this side and that side 
Uh, so don't take one and say, well, that's what he believes. And don't take the other and say, well, that's what he believes. I'm going to try to preach with balance today. So what I really feel this is talking about is ruling philosophies. And we are all concerned with ruling philosophies because we in the ministry are in charge of ruling our churches. Hello? Yeah. Obey them that have the rule over you. Now, I'll just tell you that Jeroboam's philosophy in 1 Kings 13 and 33, the Bible said that what Jeroboam did, his ruling philosophy was this. It said he made of the lowest of the people priests of the high places. He didn't take the holy people. He didn't take the righteous people. He didn't take the godly people. But Jeroboam's ruling philosophy was to take the lowest of the low and make them priests. Praise God. You still there? Praise the Lord. So Jeroboam's philosophy was that you let everyone be their own priest. That's what the Bible said. He said, whosoever would, he filled his hand and he put him in the priesthood. All they had to do is come and apply. He took the lowest of the low and he put him in the highest place. Praise the Lord. And the Lord went on to say in this book, he said, and this thing became a sin unto the house of, of Judah, of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth. Let me say, uh, before I go any farther, that that kind of philosophy, God hates. God hates the philosophy in a church that everyone is his own priest. I didn't write this book. I'm just in charge of these next few minutes to tell you what I think it's saying. Today, we would call Jeroboam's ruling philosophy, we would call him a liberal. Praise the Lord. There are those in the apostolic movement today who have been branded with the same moniker. They have been branded with the same uh, adjective. They have become liberals. And what they really have done, in a sense, is they have taken the basis and the carnal uh, and the most carnal desires of people and said, be your own priest. They're afraid to name sin. They're afraid to call anybody out. They're afraid to set anybody down. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, they're liberals. Whatever you feel in the Holy Ghost, quotes, you just go ahead and that'll be all right. Somebody comes and with a spirit that says, I am not convicted of what you're preaching. And they would say to that kind of a person, they would say, well, you just feel it out in God. But I am of an experience that people left to themselves will not naturally gravitate toward the holy. They will naturally gravitate toward the carnal. 
It is an effort to remain holy. It takes no effort at all to drift toward carnality. None at all. Praise the Lord. Everything for the devil is downhill. That's why it's so easy. And everything that's done for God is uphill, and that's why it's so hard. If you want to add 15 minutes to your prayer time, you'll have a battle on your hands. And if you want to take 15 minutes from your prayer time, there'll be no trouble at all. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you want to add a fast day to the church's fast days, you'll have a struggle on your hand with your carnality. But if you want to eat on fast day, you'll have a hundred reasons, good reasons why, that you should partake of that plate of food on fast day. The liberal is looking at the fences of holiness and saying, pull them down. I'm saying don't pull down a fence till you find out why it was put up. Praise the Lord. I'm not convicted of that. Seems to be almost a byword in some places. We have no convictions about this. We have no convictions about that. And that liberality has become a reason uh, to allow things into churches and things into lives that were never allowed by the old time preachers. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want you to know something. You better understand it today. Listen to this preacher. You don't necessarily have to be convicted of something to quit doing it. Jesus said, for my sake. That's personal conviction. But he went on to say, he said, if you give it up for the kingdom's sake. He said, I'll return it unto you in this life a hundredfold. You don't need to be convicted of it to stop it. All you have to know is that some preacher feels that it's not pleasing to God. For my sake, he said, you ought to have some things in your life that you do just for his sake. But Brother Davies already said it, thank you. He already said it this morning, we've got a lot of folks looking for the minimums in the kingdom of God. What can I do and still make it? I'm fearful of that kind of a spirit in a person because somewhere they're gonna miss the line. Somewhere they're gonna miss the concept. Somewhere they're gonna miss out what holiness is. Praise the Lord. Now, Samson, Samson, it said, was walking down the road one day, and he found a lion. A lion found him. A live lion. A real lion. And he didn't have any trouble with that live lion. Is that right? He didn't have one little bit of trouble with a live lion. He took it by the head, 
by the neck and he twisted it and he broke its neck and he flung it to the side of the road. The next time he came down that road, he said, I think I'm going to go look at what I've done. And he went over to the lion, dead lion. Now he was a Nazarite. And part of his vows were that he was not to touch a dead carcass. It was not Delilah that tripped him up. It was Delilah that finished him off. But he began to break his vows when he touched the honey in the dead carcass of the lion. He said, what are you trying to say, Brother Bowman? This is what I'm trying to say. When I was a child and I, we came into the church, I was just probably 12 or 13 years old. Uh, we had something in our home called a television. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And they would come on that television and they would say, live from Hollywood. They would say, live from our studios in New York City. They would say, live from our studios in Chicago. And our preachers never had one bit of trouble with that live line. They came out in force and they killed that line. But in just a few years ago, there was another little system, another little thing that we looked at. We went back and looked at the thing that we had killed. And now it's not alive anymore. Hello? If it does something, you've got to make it do it. And we said, let's see if there's a little honey in this. Let's see if we could get a little bit of use out of this. And they picked up the video and they hugged it to the neck. Hello. And it caused people to start to break their vows. Praise God. Praise the Lord. It wasn't the live lion that threw him. It was the dead one. Well, I better get off of stuff like that, but I think you pretty well know where I stand. Now, that was Jeroboam's ruling philosophy. Well, whatever you think. I can handle it, preacher. I can handle it. And you maybe can. You may be one of those persons that I haven't met yet. I've never met anyone yet that had one that prayed more. It made them fast more. It made them more faithful. But there seems to be an erosion of those things 
over a period of time after they have partaken in that dead thing. The other ruling philosophy, when Solomon died, well, two of the kingdoms, two of the uh, one piece of cloth was was given to Rehoboam, that was Judah, to rule in Jerusalem. His ruling philosophy was diametrically opposed to Jeroboam's. He, in First Kings, the twelfth chapter, tells you that he met with the old men, and the old men said. He said, what should I do? How should I handle this? What do you advise? And, he's, and they told him, said, well, said, be kind. Your father was pretty hard on the people, and uh, he taxed them. He said, so what you need to do is let up a little bit. And uh, then he met with the young men and, the, uh, and said, what do you advise? First Kings 12 and 10, he said, they told him, Sped said, speak thus. He said, my father made your yoke heavy, you haven't seen anything yet. He said, my little finger is going to be thicker than my father's legs. He said, you thought you had a heavy yoke before. He said, I'm going to add to your yoke. He said, my father chastised you with whips. He said, I'm going to chastise you with scorpions. And so on the one side, you've got the liberal theology, the liberal ruling uh, ministry, if you will. Now on the other side, they're not conservatives, they're radicals. Make it hard. Praise the Lord, boy, it's getting quiet now. What do I do now? <laughs> What do I do now? All right. Now, let me preclude this. Let me say, first of all, that I believe in holiness. Praise God. But I believe that holiness is a relationship, a personal relationship with a holy God. It's a condition of relationship. Holiness is not a condition of legislation. Oh, brother, you've got to have standards. Yes, I believe in standards. I believe you've got to set standards for people to, to look at, to have something to base and judge their lives against. But nevertheless, the Bible still tells us that the letter killeth. The letter killeth. Never was there a commandment in the Old Testament that gave life. God said in the Old Testament, you do this and you do that or you die. But it is impossible to give a commandment that can give life. The letter killeth, keeps on killing. E-T-H, keeps on killing. Praise the Lord. David fell in sin, called Uriah home from the battle, tried to cover up his sin, didn't work. So he got out his pen and his paper and he wrote Joab a letter. He said, have this man put in the forefront of the battle 
withdraw from him so that he'll be killed and folded up the letter and gave it to the man himself and the man was so full of integrity that he carried the letter he wouldn't stop anywhere didn't talk anywhere didn't see his friends didn't just carried it straight back to Joab he was carrying in his hand under his arm under the protection of his sword he carried his own death warrant the letter killeth I want you to know that if you came into church this morning with your Bible tucked up under your arm you were carrying enough letter to put you away you were carrying enough words of God to put your soul in hell for eternity this book still says the wages of sin is death the wages of sin is death the wages of sin is death the letter killeth but it goes on to say but the gift of God the gift of God a present from God is eternal life you cannot legislate anything that'll give you eternal life praise God how do you advise make it hard praise God I feel a little better now <laughs> amen if I'm not on it yet I'm, I'm approaching it <laughs> amen there is a church ruling philosophy that carries within it the letter that kills there's a law for everything that's done or said praise God praise God and that kind of a preacher walks around the church with a yardstick and a measuring tape and when they get together at conferences they talk about well I measure from the knee well that's nothing I measure from the floor I measure from the elbow I measure from the wrist <laughs> is this all right I don't know if this kind of stuff you do at these meetings but I I feel like Brother Davis, I only get one shot, I might as well do everything. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And they walk around the church with a big stick. I'm talking spiritual now. Praise God, but some of them aren't too far from carry, actually carrying a stick. <laughs> Hello? There's a difference between a shepherd and a sheep herder. A shepherd will lead the sheep. Will lead the sheep. A shepherd will say, let's, let us, let's go to the prayer room. <laughs> but a sheep herder says, you go to the prayer room. Why aren't you in the prayer room? Get in the prayer room. And generally have about 14 assistants like sheepdogs running around nipping at your heels all the time. Now, if there's somebody here with 14 assistants, you forgive me. I'm, that's not necessarily true. I'm just telling where, what I've seen. Almost call them up in the morning and see what they're going to wear. What are you wearing today? I'm wearing my yellow dress. No, I'm sorry, that's too short. 
And where that one? Where's the, and have to rule every little item in everybody's little life. Praise God. I'm getting more amens from the people than I am from the preachers. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Leadership, pastoralship without love needs threats. You can't pastor that way without threats. And what you have done is you have reverted then to the old system that God had in the old book that says you do this or you'll die. One time he told him in the morning, he said, I don't even want you to touch my mountain. He said, if you even touch my mountain, I'm going to kill you. Is it true? Then say amen. He said, don't touch my mountain. If, you touch, if your dog touches my mountain, I want it killed. If your cow touches my mountain, I want it killed. Now you've got to serve me, and you've got to do what I say, but you can't touch my mouth. I don't want to see you up here. Send Moses up here. I don't want to see your face. I don't want nothing to do with you. Just do what I say or I'll kill you. Now there is mercy in the Old Testament. Rahab and some of the others. But most of it is just legislation. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. And by the way, the Ten Commandments were not the Ten Suggestions. They are the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise God. I'm still, amen. You're still with me. All right, you're still out there. Praise the Lord. But there is no commandment that can give life. Because commandments don't bring life. Commandments bring education. Commandments bring instruction. Commandments set the parameters. They set the boundary lines. And they said, when you go this far, that's as far as you can go. You can't go anymore. But they were never meant to bring life. The letter killeth. It's the Spirit of God that brings life. Praise the Lord. When the preacher preaches, amen, every Sunday night he preaches. And if he hits something that you're into, he's gonna, it's going to kill you. But thank God for the Holy Ghost that comes by and says, you better listen to him. He's telling you the truth. And it puts a little salve on it, puts a little balm on it, and you get some joy to go around along with the sorrow. Praise the Lord. Praise God. <laughs> the Shunammite's woman's son died. She got on that little donkey. And she rode to find the man of God. And the man of God thought he could handle it with legislation. And he gave Gehazi the stick. And he said, take the stick and lay it on the boy. And that should take care of it. But I want to tell you, prophet, I want to tell you, preacher, today, that liberal application of the stick to a dead soul is not going to bring it to life. Liberal application of commandment theology it's not going to bring any dead soul to life. It finally took the warm application of a beating heart of a preacher to come and bring the boy to life. Praise the Lord. You can put that stick on him all day long and he's still going to be dead. 
You can beat that body with that stick and it's still going to be dead. You can give all the commandments you want to an unsaved soul. You can tell them how they're going to live and how they're going to walk and how they're going to dress. They don't know anything about the kingdom. They don't have the spirit to give them life and the letter will kill. And you wonder why they never come back to church. And this kind of a preacher, as long as I'm on the subject, this kind of a preacher is the preacher that goes to conferences and brags about how many people he ran out of his church. Now, I'm not saying there ain't some folks you've got to run off. But I, talk, I actually talked to a preacher one time. Matter of fact, he became my pastor. We moved into a town. And he stood there and said, I've run off three congregations out of this building. Bragging about it. Now, I know that all of those folks weren't reprobates. All of those folks weren't no-count folks. And he proceeded to run off another one. <laughs> they don't worship God. They worship how hard they are. They don't brag on the, the merits of Jesus Christ. They brag on how hard they are. Now, I said, don't judge me before this is over. Because I believe that you can teach it, you can preach it as hard as it needs to be. And people live it. Rule your church with an iron hand if you must, but put it in a velvet glove. Preach the message as hard as it needs to be preached. Preach holiness as hard as it needs to be preached. But allow the Spirit to get in there and give life. So God help us. God help us. Which one do you want? I don't want either one of those. One of them's got ten. The liberal one's got more. And the hard one, he's only got one. And that's about the way it looks. And that's not to say that everybody, there's somebody with a big church is liberal. I'm not saying that at all. Please don't misunderstand me at all. Praise God, the liberals, they can fill it up. And those hard guys, they can't hardly get anybody. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I got to get back over here. I'm too far from my notes. <laughs> Amen. Amen. You preach with notes. <laughs> yeah, I preach with notes. <laughs> Amen. Scared not to. <laughs> so God help us. God help us. Save us, Lord. <laughs> what are we going to... There's one missing piece of cloth. Maybe our hope is there. <laughs> there is another ruling philosophy. It's that forgotten piece of cloth. You want to know who it is? All right, I'll tell you. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> in 1 Kings 12 and 21, in 2 Chronicles 11 1, it said, When Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he gathered the house 
of Judah and Benjamin. You better clap for Benjamin. He's your only hope. <laughs> I know you're confused, and when God showed it to me, I didn't think it made any sense either. <laughs> when I get done, you may not think it means any, makes any sense. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But Benjamin was the only son of Jacob that was born in Palestine. Let me give you some incidentals. <clears throat> He was born between Bethel, which means the house of God, and, and Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. His mother was Rachel. She wanted to call him as he died. She wanted to call him Benoni, which means the son of my sorrow. Dad stepped in and said, no. said, we're not going to call him Benoni. We're going to call him Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand, or the son of days, or the son of my old age. I want something that lasts. Praise God, I want a ruling philosophy that lasts, that stands the test of time. So I'm going to skip some of this in the interest of time, but when land was allotted by Joshua, Benjamin came up with a piece of ground that was stuck in between the Philistines on the west and the Moabites on the east. So Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, learned to fight. They learned to be tenacious. Their, uh, their uh, attitude was tenaciousness. They had to be tenacious. They were living in between two enemies. On the one side, an enemy. On the other side, an enemy. So they had to learn to be tenacious, to stick, to stand and fight. Matter of fact, they were so tenacious and they were so uh, good at fighting that uh, many scriptures in the Bible, several scriptures in the Bible tells us that they could not only fight with the right hand, but they could also sling stones with the left hand. They learned to be ambidextrous. They learned to be balanced. They learned on the one side that they could approach problems from this standpoint. The standpoint, you see, I, I'll just tell it my way, the standpoint of legislation. There are some things, some standards, some minimums that need to be legislated at times. And they also realized that you could work in the presence of God, in the power of God, uh, and they were balanced. They could, they could fight with the right hand or they could fight with the left hand. Their character was tenaciousness. Say, so, well, that doesn't help much. Well, just hang on. Benjamin was the youngest son of Jacob. Joseph had been taken down into Egypt. That's a beautiful story, but I'm going to save you all that this morning. Uh, if I was at home, I'd probably just go ahead and take all that time. But uh, I'm just going to tell you, most of you know the story. Joseph was taken down into Egypt, became the prime minister. Every time they pushed him down, he popped up. Every time they pushed him down, he came to the top. Why? Because he was 99 and 44, 100% pure. Like ivory soap. You push it down and it comes to the top. And so Joseph uh, was down in Egypt. He saved the country and, and stored up all the corn. There was a famine where Jacob was. So he sent his sons to Egypt, go buy some corn. You know the story. 
So uh, Joseph said, I want to see your youngest son, Benjamin. And they said, oh, no, we can't do that because dad won't let him out of his sight. And so he said, I want to see him. Matter of fact, I'm going to keep Simeon here. You go home and get him. So they went home and they told Jacob. Now, that's a lot of history right there. I saved you a bunch of time right there. <laughs> and so they said, uh, said they, he wants to see Benjamin. And Jacob said, no. They said, we got to go back down and get some more corn. He said, no, you're not taking Benjamin. But famine has a way of talking to people's hearts. <laughs> And after they ran out of food, he said, all right, go down there and take Benjamin. And uh, uh, one of them said, I'll stand surety for it be. So, so they, they finally got Benjamin down there. That's what I want to do. I want to get Benjamin down in Egypt. Is he there? All right, he's there. Everybody, take Benjamin, stick him in Egypt. <laughs> Saved you about 35 minutes right there. <laughs> all right, now it said that there was a custom. There was a custom in the land of Egypt that the king or the prime minister would not eat with those, those shepherds. And so the Bible says that Joseph sat in one room and he put this, the brothers in the other room and he lined them up down the table from the eldest to the youngest. Benjamin was way down there on the end. And the Bible said that they would bring food to Joseph. And Joseph would send food out to the room where the brothers were. Praise the Lord. Oh, Judah, yeah, you got to try some of this casserole. It's delicious. Send it. Servant would carry it over there. Uh, Simeon, yes. Oh, you got to try some of this fruit salad. It's, it's, it's delicious. And he would send food. He would send dishes over there to their side of the table. But the Bible said that what he was doing, he was sending Benjamin five times as much. Now I know what he was doing. He was trying to provoke their jealousy to see if their heart had been repented. But there's a greater thing here for us this morning in, our, in the context of our message. And that's the, the thing that there is this missing piece of cloth that belongs to Benjamin. the other end of the room carried it all the way past the noses of the other brothers and laid it before on the table laid it before Benjamin there is let me tell you there is a church ruling philosophy that will bring you a five-fold blessing I'm not talking about uh, buying handkerchiefs. I'm not talking about sending dollar bills someplace. I'm not talking about prayer mats and Moses anointing oil or anything else. I'm just telling you there is a system that God will bless fivefold. Praise God. Didn't he say he said God gave gifts to the church? He gave apostles. He gave prophets. He gave evangelists, teachers, and pastors. 
There is a ruling philosophy that God will put into a church, praise the Lord, with a five-fold blessing. Not only that, when they packed up to go home, uh, they, he put the money back in the sack. They not only had their provision, but they had extra money put in the sack. And in Benjamin's sack was the king's silver cup. Hallelujah. That's the kind of church I want to have. That's the kind of church I want to be in. I want to be in a church that has a fivefold blessing. The preacher not only puts food and provender out for me, but there's always something extra. I want to have the blessings of the king's cup in my church. Jesus said, this is the cup. This is the cup. He said, you're not able sometimes to drink of this cup. And the cup is sacrificed. Now I'm getting to where I really wanted to be. All that other stuff is no extra charge. Praise the Lord. He gave this church, Benjamin, he gave changes of raiment. I'm saying you can have a church, you don't need to legislate raiment. Hello? It'll come as a blessing from the king. Holiness, this message, if it's preached right, will change your raiment. Praise the Lord. Well, let's try something else. That didn't go over too good. Jesus said when he was here, he said you can't take an old cloth and sew it on a new suit. So Jesus' reasoning is that I'm not going to use that old system, that Old Testament system I'm going to start a new system. I'm not going to use the law like I used in the Old Testament. Well, Brother Bowman, is there then not any commandments in the New Testament? Oh, yes, there is. But the philosophy about the administration of those is different. In the Old Testament, it said, you will do this or you will be punished. You will do this or you die. Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not from a standpoint of legislation, not from a standpoint of fear, not from a standpoint of, of, of fear and danger of hellfire. But he said, if you love me, if you love me, if you love me. Not from the standpoint of legislation, but from the standpoint of sacrifice. If you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. Praise the Lord. So what are you getting at? What happened to Benjamin? Just hang on. I'm going to read you something. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss.
for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Who said that? Paul said that. And just prior to saying that, he said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. There's your missing philosophy. If by any means I might attain because it's legislated? No. Because I love him. Who said it? Who said it? A tenacious little hunchback Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. And I don't have time to read you all the scriptures this morning that Paul admonished us about love. He said in Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, because God is going to scald your hide if you don't. It's not what he said, saints. I beseech you, brethren, because God is going to fry your soul in hell forever. He said, I'm begging you. I'm beseeching you. Please, give your bodies to God a living sacrifice, holy, 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 and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. But he predicated it. He predicated it upon the mercy of God. Everything that you are asked to do, everything that the church preaches, every standard that comes your way needs to be weighed in the light of Calvary. It needs to be weighed in the light of your love and the mercy that was given to us at Calvary. What kind of a thing could you dare hold on to at the foot of the cross with the blood of your Savior dripping at your feet? What little bauble could you keep? What little thing could you have in your home? What little dress or fashion or suit or shoes or whatever it is could you dare hold on at the foot of the cross? What do you own that looks like anything upside? the mercy of God you don't own anything fine enough to pay for one drop of that blood you couldn't sell everything you're worth and buy one drop of the blood that's soaked into the sand at the foot of the cross we've lost our perspective 
we have lost our perspective. We've got to the point where a preacher needs a law degree. Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I go here? Can I go there? Can I watch this? Can I watch that? Can I say this? Can I say, can I wear this? Can I wear that? Can I do this with my hair? Can I do that with my hair? And somehow we spend half of our time in the book uh, trying to find some scripture to legislate? Uh, uh, yes or no? And frankly, I'm just about tired of it. Whatever happened to loving God? What's the matter with loving God? What's the matter with doing something because you love God? What's the matter with doing something because you want to please Him? Whether it's legal or not. Whether it's legislated or not. What's the matter with just going to the altar and saying, God, you can have it. I'll give it to you. Let's praise him. Praise him. There's some folks out there that love God. When's the last time you went to the altar and you said, God, I don't care if, if everybody else in the church is doing it. I'm not going to do it. When's the last time you got on a good Holy Ghost benefit and said, God, I'm going to give it to you. I don't care if it's legal or not. It was a little that said, all things are lawful. But he went on to say, all things are not convenient. He said, the love of Christ constraineth me. Not the fear of damnation. Not the threat of eternal fires. He said, the love of Christ constraineth me. He said, there's some things that I don't do just because I love him. There's some places I don't go. Not because it's not legal, but because I love him too much to go to those places. There's some things I won't wear. There's some things I won't say. Not because it's not legal. Not because it's a sin. But so simply because I love him too much to do it.
Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let me talk about sacrifice just a little bit. You may be seated. I'm going to tell you something about love. Love necessitates a cross. Love necessitates. The necessity of love is a cross. All this junk the world's doing out there is not love. Because there's no cross. There's no commitment. There's no sacrifice. The world says, I want you. I must love you. No, that's lust. Or you might say selfishly, to some you say, I need you. Therefore, I must love you. That's kind of selfish, ain't it? But Jesus looked at us and said, you need me. Therefore, I love you. Time's up. They stood at the foot of the cross and they looked up at him and they said, he saved others. But himself, he cannot save. He saved others. But himself, he cannot save. You get involved in the soul-saving business, it's going to cost you your life. These fellas, God bless you. I'm praying that the Lord will send workers in the harvest. Some of these fellas that want to get in on it because of the platform is so glamorous. They don't understand. They really don't understand. Jesus was involved in the soul-saving business and it cost him his life. And if you get involved, young man, into the ministry, it's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you whatever you could have been. Now, there's a lot of folks today, you, you just take this with a grain of salt, throw it out, keep it. This is not the spirit, this is me. Amen. There's a lot of them trying to make a million dollars in some business on the side and pastor church. Now, I'm not talking about whole missionaries got to go out there and work to put food on the table. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about there's plenty of preachers around got little side businesses going on. Huh? Huh? Trying to have the best of both things. But I've just found, I'll just tell you what I found in the ministry. It's going to cost you your life. Brother Keys, there's some things I wanted to do with this life. When I was a kid, there's, there's some things I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to be an educator. God made me an educator. School called up from Georgia one time. I don't have, I, I've got Bible school, but I have no regular real college. And they called up and they said, we want you to come and teach in our school, high school. 
I said, I don't have a degree. He said, we'll, we'll hire you anyway. So I don't even have a certificate. He said, we'll give you one. I said, I don't know nothing about teaching high school. I said, we'll send you to the University of Georgia, Athens. He said, we'll teach you. And I thought, this is great. This is great, God. This is really good, because now I'm getting out of the ministry. <laughs> I said, that's fine. I've had enough of this. I was an assistant pastor. <laughs> and being an assistant pastor for seven years, it just about give you enough of the ministry. <laughs> And I said, oh, what an opportunity. <laughs> what an opportunity. And I sent my card into headquarters. And that quote got me out of the ministry. <laughs> I thought. So I just rocked along there. They sent me to college. They gave me the certificate. They taught me, gave me 9th, 10th, and 11th, 12th grade to teach. And this is what I always wanted. This is all right. I'm right where I, I want to be teaching in high school, and this is great. And I'm out of the ministry. Neat, God. Ho, oh, ho, I fooled you that time. <laughs> and the pastor that started all the church, his, his grandfather, Brother Thomas, was 89. Remember that? He's 89. He's still pastoring, but he was sick. And so our pastor had to go back to where, and the people asked him to ask me to pastor, and here I am. God taught me you didn't have to have a card to pastor. He taught me not to equate. I'm, I'm not hard, am I? This is not, this is not difficult. I'm just being honest. He taught me you don't have to have a card to be a preacher. The danger of that is that, well, I just need to stay away from that. It's not my business. But the danger of it is... <laughs> One shot. <laughs> the danger of it is you give people respect who haven't earned it. Huh? Oh, well. That's not my business. For love necessitates a cross. He said, you pick up your cross. The, the, the subject there is understood. He said, pick up your cross. The subject there is understood. You pick up your cross. I am not forcing a cross upon you. I am not legislating a cross upon you. You pick it up and follow me. And he didn't take it to Disney World. He didn't take it to Disneyland. He took it to the top of a hill and they nailed him to it. And along the way, the Bible tells me that they compelled a man named Simon the Cyrene, said, he can't carry it, you carry it. But we have no honor for Simon the Cyrene. We don't give him any lauds. We don't give him any awards. We hardly mention him, why? Because he was compelled to carry a cross. He was made to carry a cross. I want you to know that you can't make me carry this cross. You ain't big enough to make me do anything. If I carry a cross, it is because I want to.
There's a divine principle in sacrifice that if you will save yourself, then you cannot save others. Sacrifice is proportional. The greater the cause, the greater the cost. Except a corn of wheat, somebody already said in this conference, fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He saved others. But himself, he could not save. We need preachers today that are more than the sum total of their personal abilities. Let me say that again. We need some ministers in the ministry, some young men coming up in the ministry who are more than the sum total of their natural abilities. I'm not saying nothing against music. I wish I could sing. I'm not saying anything against musical instruments. I wish I could play the one I play better than I do. We need those things and they brought us a long way. We've come a long way from that old box guitar and a, an accordion and a tambourine. Huh? The only thing that bothers me about those now, here I go again. They 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 play those tapes and I don't got nothing against it. But if the spirit gets moving, how are you gonna go back and sing a chorus over again? You say, Well, it's really no problem because in those kind of things the spirit very rarely moves. <laughs> I can't believe saying these things. <laughs> Praise God. I'm just funning with you. But we need somebody. We need saints. We need singers. We need players who are more than the sum total of their natural abilities. Their natural talents. Amen. Sacrifice. You said it yesterday. Beyond survival beyond survival to the place of sacrifice sacrifice to be altogether for sacrifice to be altogether noble and perfectly beautiful it must fulfill three conditions and you can take these little three things and you can apply them to your level of sacrifice to see and it'll give you a barometer it'll give you a measurement of exactly where you are number one it must be a willing sacrifice. For a sacrifice to be noble, for a sacrifice to be recognized as entirely honorable and noble, it must be willing. We give no honor to Simon the Cyrene, who also carried a cross. We give no honor to the thieves, do we, who carried the cross out to the same place and were crucified side by side with the master. But we give them no honor. Why? Because they were compelled by legislation to carry that cross. But it's Jesus we give the honor to because he's, there's no Roman guard that carried him out there and forced him on the cross. They didn't take his life. He gave it. It was entirely an act of the will. Number two, it must have a worthy purpose. There's people over there in Iran and Iraq and all of them, they give their lives willingly. But we don't give them honor. 
We don't give them lauds and praises and, and send money to the survivors. We don't, we don't do that. Why? Because their purpose is not altogether pure. But you can't fault their zeal. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> to strap a bomb on your back and walk in a building and, say, and pull the trigger. You can't fault their zeal. <laughs> you surely can't. <laughs> but their purpose is faulty. And so we don't give them honor. We don't give them praises. And number three, its motivation must be love. A sacrifice may be both willing and it may possess noble purpose. But unless it, it comes also up to the mark in the motive of love, it loses whatever honor it might gain. I want you to know that the crown that's given for sacrifice is always, always made of thorns. Let me say that again. The crown that's given for sacrifice is made of thorns. Let me talk to the saints just a minute. You preachers can listen in. Preachers were made to be separate spirits. A sheep cannot kill a lion. I've never heard of a sheep killing a lion. I'll go one step further and say, I've never heard of a whole herd of sheep killing a lion. Sheep have only one defense, Brother Keys. Their outer covering. Their fleece. When the lion bites the sheep, he gets a ball of fur instead of meat. That's their only defense against the lion. Their only self-defense against the lion is the way they look. Their outer covering. Praise the Lord. <laughs> For the rest of the defense, they need a shepherd. God has designed them that way. And so sometimes, saints of God, I'm just going to open my heart. That's what it said in the letter. You put us in a bad situation. Because we're called to be shepherds. Our job is to lead the sheep to Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. That's our job. Oh, and do we ever love doing that? Do we ever love praying with that soul that comes to the altar? Do we ever love teaching Bible study after Bible study? Do we ever love witnessing to folks for hours and hours? Meet them someplace on the street and just talk to them about God. That's our job. That's our business. We love it. But sometimes you put us in an awkward situation. You do something and then we've got to stand over here and fight the devil. The devil, you get back. Devil, I'm telling you, leave him alone. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. You stand right there. Don't cross that line. Now just wait. I'll be right back. God, don't cut him down yet. Give me another year. Oh, no, God, no, no. Get back. God, stop, stop. Give me another year. Let me dig around him a little bit. 
let me put some fertilizer on. Let me prune them up. Let me do. God, just, just a minute, God. I'll be right back. The devil's getting close over here. I got to go back. You're fighting the devil. I told you to get back. Get over that line. Stay over that line. And don't touch them. Leave those young people alone. Stay over here. Just a minute. God, give me six more months, God. Don't kill them. Don't, don't cut them down yet, God. Don't, wait a minute. I'll be right back. Devil, get back. God, get back. We were never designed to keep God from you. So you're fighting the devil on this side. And you're, a, you're fighting a battle with God on this side. And you turn around and all you want is a little bleed of appreciation. And they're standing there weaving a crown of thorns to put on your head. Circles and circles of thoughts that press into the mind night after night after night. And press it on your brow and thoughts in your mind around in the circle of pointed thoughts. Oh, we were never designed for that role. We were never designed to carry that kind of responsibility. Oh, yeah, we'll fight every devil in hell for you if we need to but don't make us fight God don't make us fight God for you would you stand here today I want you to know that the Lord's sacrifice the Lord's sacrifice was totally willing it had the greatest purpose in the face of the earth the redemption of mankind and its motivation was purely love. Love. Its motivation, listen to me, church, was love. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost here. Hey, uh. I love him. Remember that song? I love him. I love him because he was the Let the Holy Ghost work here for a minute. <laughs> Hallelujah. I know it's time to eat. I'll tell you what the world needs to see. The world needs to see that same sacrifice in us. That same sacrifice that says, like that little old hunchback Benjamite said, he said, if eating meat offends my brother, he said, I'll not eat another piece while the world stands. Do you hear what I said? It wasn't his conviction. It wasn't his legislation. He said, if eating meat offends my brother, if eating meat would cause my brother to fall, he said, I love him so much I won't do it. In his presence, no, he said, while the world stands. You know what's wrong with us? We're so independent, individually. We don't care about anybody else but our own self.
people going to hell every day. They're being born and dying faster than we get into them. We're over here measuring sideburns. Feeding meat, he said, offends my brother. He said, I wish myself accursed if Israel might be saved. Where is that spirit in the church that says, having a video causes my brother to fall? I won't do it. Being rebellious about this causes my brother to fall I won't do it that's his problem that's the spirit we have he just ain't got enough of God no you ain't got enough of God I don't have enough of God and my motive is wrong unless I'm willing to say to my brother I'll do it for you Jesus said, if you've done it on the least of these, you've done it unto me. Where is that spirit of love? Where Jesus said, you'll know they're my disciples because they have the best legislation. It's not in there said they'll know you're my disciples they will know you're my disciples because they have one they have loved one for the other who said that they were first called Christians at Antioch because they were a mixed multitude <laughs> who says one of the preachers here said that the test of prejudice you can overcome the test of prejudice not only love that person say brother I have perfect liberty in this item because of you I won't die do you feel the Holy Ghost God teach us how to love be as hard as you want to preacher preach it as close as you think you need to preach it let your motivation be love. Time after time. Hey, minister, oh, that's neat. Be up on the platform. But you don't see the times God pours you out. He rings you dry. Somebody who don't even care. And you sit down and you say, God, I'm not, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of messing with them. So you sit down like Jeremiah. Jeremiah preached 40 years, never had one convert. He said, I'm said, I ain't preaching no more. I'm tired of it. Let them go to hell. And he got up, he said, it's like fire. 
fire shut up in my bones. But you remember that the Bible said our God is a consuming fire. Oh, he fills you up. You could charge hell with a bucket of water. Then every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, begins to pour you out till your soul is empty. I feel the Holy Ghost. wants to come down here and just say, God, I love you. I, I know what the man's talking about. I love you.